0: All right. Why don't we have all of the important people come down to the front? If you are in fifth grade or younger, you are invited down for our children's chat at this time. Candy. I like candy. Aciduadio. I'm guessing that's sour. Look at this. Wow, and this has chocolate. Wow. Sour and spicy. Sour and spicy. All right. And look at this nice note I still have. Yeah. How are y'all doing? How you doing? Doing well? All right. (laughs) Gonna be okay? It's all right. Take your time. You doing okay? All right. You better? (laughs) Okay. All right. So, I want to tell you a quick story about a woman who was sick, and she'd been sick for 12 years. How old are you? Five. How old are you, Mila? Four. So, if you put both of your lives together, you still wouldn't be old enough to be around for as long as she was sick. She was sick for a really long time and she wanted to get better, but no one could help her. And one day, who do you think she saw walking down the street? If you guessed Jesus, you'll probably be right. Jesus, you're right. It was Jesus. Good guess. And she wanted to ask Jesus to help her, but she was afraid to just like walk up and say, hey, can you help me? So she thought, maybe if I just touch his shirt, I will be healed. And she reached out from behind. He was, she was behind him, and she touched his shirt. She grabbed his shirt, and she was healed. She was better. She was no longer sick. Yes? You what? You got a What? Oh, yes, I've had a fever too. Yeah, we all get them, right? And so she touched Jesus' shirt and she was made better and Jesus turned around and found her and he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So, Jesus, you've heard of him, right? Yeah. So what do we go to Jesus for? What does he have that we need? Any guesses? What does Jesus have that we need? Does he have love? Does he have forgiveness? Does he give us peace? Yes. Does he help us? Yes. So, love and peace and forgiveness and help, like, that's pretty good stuff. Why would you not go to Jesus? I don't know. I think it's a good idea. Let's go to Jesus now. How about we say a prayer to Jesus, and then you can go to Hope for Kids. Does that sound good? All right. Dear God, thank you that we can come to you when... We need things, that you are always there, that you love us, that you forgive us, that you give us peace and understanding, that you care, and that you are always there for us. We thank you for that precious gift. We pray your blessing over these children as they spend more time in your word and hope for kids today. Fill them with your Holy Spirit and grow them more and more into the men and women of God you created them to be. Your blessing over them, we pray in Jesus' name. Go. What? They weren't about. They did. Well, if you tried to move like that, you'd be in traction for weeks afterwards. All right, we should probably just stick to the text. All right. Will you join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for God's word this morning? God, our loving Father, we come before you, and as we open your word, we pray that you would open our hearts, that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, that as we prepare to meet you through your word, that you would help us to lay at the foot of your cross the burdens of our hearts, that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word today. We give you our sins and disappointments, and we thank you for the forgiveness and grace that are ours through your Son, Jesus Christ. We lift up those relationships in our lives that are strained. We pray for peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We lift before you those whom we know and love who are sick or facing uncertain diagnoses. We pray your healing mercies upon them. We lift especially to you uh, John Davern's daughter as she... Uh, battles a an unwanted diagnosis and we just pray your healing mercies over her body. Lord, we lift to you those who mourn and we pray that you would comfort them. We pray especially for the Dunn family this morning as you have taken Susan home. We just pray you would be with them in their grief and in her absence. Lord, minister your peace to their hearts. and Lord, we lift up Uh, This country and our leaders at every level of government, elected and appointed, we pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. We lift up those men and women who are in uniform, who are protecting and defending the freedoms that we hold so dear as Americans. We pray you would watch over them and protect them, bring them home safely. We pray especially for those who are in harm's way. Keep them safe. And, Lord, we lift up those who've come home from their service changed as a result of the sacrifices they've made. And we pray your healing over them, mind, body, and soul. Lord, we lift up your church here at Hope and around the world. We pray for those churches that we are connected to through our denomination and through our missions, efforts. And we just pray your blessing over what you are doing through your people here and everywhere. We pray that your word would continue to go forth through the mouths of your people and that it would not return to you empty. We lift up those missionaries we support in Guatemala, in Laredo, Texas, in Havana, Cuba. We lift up our sister church in Camajuanee, Cuba. Uh, We lift up Pastor Miguel and Tatiana there and Roberto and his wife and child. And we just pray your blessing over what you're doing in their midst. We lift up Robbie and Joyce Hamd and their efforts in Beirut, Lebanon, and we lift up Monica and Benjamin Bailey in the Middle East, and we just pray your blessing over those uh, works of your spirit in those places. We lift up the church plants that are going on in our presbytery at this time in Katy, in New Braunfels, and in Austin, and we just pray your blessing over what you're doing in those places. Be with us now as we open your word, open our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we have been in a series of messages of late where we are looking at some of the unnamed women in the scriptures. Some of those uh, stories and events that include women whose names uh, were not included or recorded. And so we are trying to do a couple of things as we do this. We are trying to... Uh, really see through the lens of these unnamed women what God is saying to each of us. We are trying to, at the same time, look at these women as representatives of uh, women in general and as a part of the sisterhood of faith that that has been uh, unfolding since, well, Adam and Eve. And for each of you to sort of look at your own place in that sisterhood, to claim your rightful place in that inheritance, and for the men in your lives to have a better uh, value for who you are and what you contribute to the world, the church, their lives, your families, etc. And so we've been sort of stopping at various places throughout the Bible where there are accounts of women interacting with God and Whose names are not recorded, and so today we come to a an interaction. You get a, you get a two for one today. Um, we had originally uh, looked at at covering the woman who touched Jesus's robe, and we'll get to her. But her story is embedded in the middle of another story that includes another unnamed female, and so we're going to look at that that entire. Uh, narrative and both of those interactions to try and understand what it is that God has for us in this portion of his word. And you will notice in at least one of these stories uh, a remarkable similarity to a story we already covered in this series where the prophet Elijah was in a, a foreign town and a woman was taking care of him. he was in exile, and a woman who was taking care of him uh, was putting him up and feeding him, etc. And her son passed away. And Jesus I mean sorry, Elijah went and resurrected that child from the dead you 're going to see a very similar interaction between Jesus and a Jewish leader. And you're also going to see some interesting contrast in these two stories. The first one involves a very well-respected Jewish citizen, an elder in his church, if you will. And then the second one involves someone who would have been, according to the book of Leviticus, ritually unclean for about 12 years. Sort of in this class of um, almost untouchable spiritually speaking. She would not have been um, in a place, a position of respect, and she'd spent all of her money on medical care, and it had availed her not. And so here she is, destitute, poor, and ceremonially unclean, sort of representing the opposite end of the spectrum from the manual here named in the story, who would have been very well respected, uh, in his community, and so you have this juxtaposition of Jesus interacting with kind of both ends of the human spectrum in the same uh, narrative, and so here we go. I'm going to choose, I've chosen the passage out of the Gospel of Luke. This story is recounted in all three of what we call the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, and it occurs, it's, it's a very similar story, a couple of interesting differences here and there, but we're just gonna stick to the account in Luke chapter eight, verses forty through fifty-six. And just to give you the background, Jesus is a busy guy right here. He's he's just like been on the shores of Galilee teaching and then he got in a boat to escape the crowds. And he went across the lake. He healed a demon-possessed man. We looked at this story not too long ago. In September, um, he healed a demon-possessed man, uh, cast the demons into a herd of pigs. So Jesus and the disciples went on a pig hunt. And then uh, he tells the demon-possessed man, at the end of that story, the guy's like, can I get in the boat and come back with you? And Jesus says, no, stay here and tell everybody what what, what I've done. Like, tell everybody. And you'll see a really interesting contrast at the end of this story where Jesus is back home in his home region of Galilee, and he says actually the opposite to the Jewish leader and his family about what to do in the wake of his healing. So that's where we are. Jesus, has he he got in the boat, he calmed a storm, he cast out the demons of the demon-possessed man, he came back across the lake, and here we go. Starting in verse 40 of Luke chapter 8. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you, But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came, trembling, and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep. For she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, and he charged them to tell no one, What had happened? Just a a remarkable series of interactions and and a little bit of a window into just how pressed in upon Jesus must have been and his followers at this point in his ministry like everywhere he went people crowded in around him to to touch him to hear him to see him and his first interaction as he steps off the boat back into his home territory is with a prominent leader in the community that everybody knows and everybody respects and if you noticed, that man falls on his feet, on, I'm sorry, on his knees before Jesus. And it's such an interesting demonstration of need, of desperation, of that feeling when you know what the inevitable is and you don't want things to go there. And, you know, I don't think there's anything worse as a parent than watching your child uh, suffer, right? It's just, it's horrible. Even if it's just a, a, a little... You know, infection that you know they're going to get over, or if it's something worse that has even more potential to go badly. It's just a terrible place. And this man, he's not uh, stupid. He lives in the first century. He knows how these things go. And I think the author is very clear he knows that his daughter's chances are very low. He's seen friends and neighbors' kids go down similar roads, and he knows how this ends and where it's going. And then he hears that Jesus is back, that Jesus has come back from across the lake, and he goes to him and falls down on his knees. Then, in the other ensuing account, the woman doesn't fall on her knees until after she is healed. But they both end up in the same posture, and we're going to look at that sort of as a, as a lens for understanding how we are to approach this passage, what God is saying to us. And so, the first thing that I think we see is this call to come to Christ in humility. And this ruler of his synagogue, this elder in his church, comes to Jesus and immediately falls to his knees. He realizes that Jesus is what he needs. And he realizes that he himself is powerless to change the events in his daughter's illness. And so I think there's something for us there, this acknowledgement of our powerlessness in in things spiritual, that we're talking about something that we do not have the ability to control. Here's, Here's what I mean. You probably have similar thoughts about yourself that I have about myself. They're not always healthy, right? We, we tend to treat ourselves, um, well, in a variety of ways, not all of which are helpful. And I don't know about you, but the tapes that play in my head, or maybe I should just call them the voices that, that carry on in my head, um, they're not necessarily always helpful, always good, always healthy. And so, I do not have the ability to heal myself. I do not have the ability to forgive myself of my sins. I am um, like you, in a state where I am dependent upon another. I am powerless to bring about the cleansing of my own sin. No matter how hard I might try, it's not actually possible. And I think that's our, our starting point. This is where Jesus is trying to get us in this story. He's trying to tell us, this is where it begins, in a posture of humility with the acknowledgement that we are powerless. We have to let go of our sense of status in this world if we're going to come to Jesus in the correct posture. And at the same time, we have to let go of our sense of uncleanness. So we're going to jump to the woman who touched Jesus' robe for a moment. And so there's this verse in Leviticus that talks about this situation and that she would then be ritually unclean. It doesn't mean that she's no longer Jewish or she's cast out or anything like that. It just means that because of her medical condition, she's in this perpetual state of being considered ritually unclean. And there are, there are steps that a person could take to remedy this, they would go to the temple. There would be uh, a time of waiting and prayer and maybe a little fasting, perhaps a sacrifice. And then, after that end of that period of time, that person is restored to uh, what being ritually clean or ritually right, if you will. But she, with this continual state, would have not had that opportunity for like 12 plus years. She would have been in this state of feeling like she was an outcast, feeling like she was unclean. And it is important to notice the way that Jesus levels the playing field here. You have this prominent citizen on one hand, and you have this uh, woman who would have at least felt like an outcast on the other hand. And, they both have the same beginning point. It's a point of humility. It's a point of feeling powerless. It's a point of needing to let go of whatever it was that they felt was keeping them from Jesus. The, the ruler had to get past his position as a community leader. Do you really want to go and kneel down before this strange teacher that's controversial? Do you really want to do that? Do you want to give up your status to humble yourself like that? And this woman is like, do I, do I really deserve, I'm unclean, do I really deserve to touch this man? If I, you know, the, the irony is, if she, when she touches Jesus, she risks making him ritually unclean. So she doesn't touch him, she just grabs his shirt, thinking maybe that's close enough. And it was, but their starting points are very similar. They both acknowledge that they are powerless and they both acknowledge that Jesus is their only hope. There is a demonstration in this passage that Jesus' love is greater than life. And his power is greater than death. And we'll, we'll talk about this further. But Jesus is really, he's doing two things in this, in this story with the, the ruler's daughter. There's two things he's doing. He's, he's reaching back to the Old Testament, the story we read a few weeks ago, the prophet Elijah, who resuscitates this widow's child. He's reaching back and saying, like, this is happening again. Pay attention. There's, there's another uh, occurrence of the same phenomenon you've seen before. And it's, they're both pointing, so and then he's, he's, he's reached back and he's reaching forward to his own death and resurrection. He's looking at both of these in both these directions in this story, and he's saying, I am. I am the one. I am the hope. I am the Lamb of God. I have a power that is greater than death, and I have a love for you that is greater than life. And so these are the two beginning points that both of these people in this passage start or where they both start acknowledging that they are powerless and acknowledging that Jesus is their only hope this is a good place for us to begin in our own hearts in our own relationship with God that that we are in fact powerless to bring about what we need spiritually. And that our only hope for forgiveness, for salvation, for redemption, is in Jesus Christ. This is a great starting point for us. Because it renders in each of us the humility of being able to look around and say, I am no better than anyone else. And I'm actually no farther gone than anyone else. God loves me, and his power is my only hope for redemption. And so here we are in a posture of humility that both of these participants in this little portion of redemptive history find themselves in. And it's a reminder that as we come to Christ in humility, so also we are to come to him in brokenness. That is, in the recognition of our own, well, what we lack. And so, <clears throat> I, think, I think God wants us to relate to him from a vantage point point of desperation. You see both of these people, these characters in this story, what opens the door for their connection to Christ is the state of desperation in which they find themselves. So let's just try to generalize this for a moment. The situation that both of these characters find themselves in is our own. Like, I am dying, spiritually, I'm dead, I am unclean, I am lacking. I'm in a, I, God wants me, in that sense, in a state of desperation. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he says. And so, here we are, at this place of humility and brokenness, reaching a place of holy desperation in our hearts this comes as you well know this this rendering of ourselves comes through being at the end of a broken heart and being at the end of a broken spirit you see this this ruler who's just crushed at what's happening to his daughter and you see this woman who is crushed and in a state of desperation because of what's happening within her. And they both come to Christ in this state of desperation, one with a broken heart, the other with a broken spirit. And from that point of holy desperation, we are to seek wholeness, spiritual wholeness That's the idea. So the point, and we, we, we will go over this again, I'm sure, in this series, but the, the point of these miracles is not to tell you that God is going to heal all your problems. Right? He's going to heal all your... He can. He certainly has that power. That's very clear here. But the point of these miracles is to establish the person of Jesus Christ as the focal point for our hopes, to establish that it is Jesus who is fulfilling all of God's word for the good of God's people. And so, is that the fire alarm? All right, We got a guy. It's done. I don't know what that was. Am I supposed did I say something wrong? I think that would have been louder if I, he was object him. Yeah. Um, what'd you say, John? I'm on fire. ha. <laughs> I like that. All right, Where were we? This call to seek wholeness that so i want to just clarify something this woman is reaching out for jesus and she doesn't she doesn't want to touch him because she doesn't want probably doesn't want to make him ritually unclean the irony there is that he's got it covered right but she touches his his cloak his robe his clothing and she is instantly healed. I just want to emphasize something. There's no power in objects. Okay? And uh, there, there are some Christian traditions that place uh, very high emphasis on the, the, the relic, the object of, that once did something holy or something like that, or was once owned by a holy person. And I just want to be clear, the power is not in his cloak. Like if someone kept that cloak and preserved it and you opened a, a, a an archaeological site and found it, it's just like any other cloak. It's not a big deal. It doesn't hold any power in and of itself. This is not like uh, the Ark of the Covenant in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. This is not what we're talking about. This is just a shirt. And the power that comes into this woman for her healing is from Jesus, not his shirt. So, first, we learn, we see that the power is not from the object. Wholeness is found in the person of Jesus Christ. That is where we find healing and peace. And, just look at the difference between this woman before and after. Before, she's in this place of brokenness and desperation, and she's rendered into this state of humility that causes her to reach out for Christ. And she, she touches his clothing... And something happens, and her entire world is changed. She is healed, and she has come into contact with the one by whom she will be forgiven and given peace and made whole. Everything in her world has shifted, and then she falls at his feet. there is this blessing that emerges from our brokenness when we come to Christ in the midst of our pain. We start with a sense of holy desperation and we move in Christ towards wholeness, healing, and peace. The flow of her blood Was stopped by touching the one whose blood would flow for the forgiveness, the healing, the cleansing of the nations. This is what she realized in that moment. And Jesus says for her "Um, Look, the key is faith. You put your faith in me. Good girl. Well done. Thank you. That, is where you. that is the pathway through which you can find healing and peace and mercy and grace and love eternal. And so, we come to Christ in humility, we come to him in brokenness, and we come to him in faith. I want to emphasize something here, I'm not sure entirely how to do it, I don't think this woman had great theology. I don't think that she was a Bible scholar. She might have been. I think she was desperate. I don't think she was thinking her way through analytically how to find healing and wholeness and peace. I think, in her desperation, she made a, a a move that was not thought out, at least not theologically. And she grabs a shirt, which, in and of itself, has no power. But that simple act of faith is through is the conduit through which everything changes. I don't think we will ever have this Jesus guy figured out fully. That doesn't mean we cannot know him, and it doesn't mean there's not fruit in, in getting to know him more. My only point is that what gave this woman access to the Savior of the world was not good, well-thought-out theology It was an act of desperation through faith, and she directed her faith towards the right person. We are to come to Christ in faith to see past those obstacles that are placed in front of our faith. That's what faith allows us to do. We we see whatever situation is right in front of us this week, and we go, ah, the sky is falling, right? And what God has wanted, what God wants us to do is to say, no, no, well, maybe, maybe the sky is falling, but look, look up, look past it, look to me. I've got this. I've got you. In the midst of whatever is happening, we are to look past those obstacles. Look past what's right in front of us that means that we are to reach beyond our fears did you notice when the the person comes to the to Jairus on the road to his house and says your daughter's gone don't bother the guy anymore right that's an understandable short-sightedness like that makes sense but Jesus says no, we're going to look we're going to look past that as massive an obstacle as that seems to be. We're going to look past that and we're going to we're going to lay claim through faith to something that lies beyond that. So our faith is what allows us to reach beyond our fears. And we have to be prepared for others to laugh. To just that's ridiculous. That's <laughs> wh- Whatever, you freak. Right? Um, and Jesus, like a boss, just keeps going. Right? So he's got the bad news. He looks past it. He's trying to lead this family past that. And he's laughed at for articulating that there's something beyond the immediate. And then, he reaches out. So in the first interaction, she reaches out, the woman reaches out and touches him, and this one, he reaches out. And there's a a beautiful contrast here. So, a Jewish man who wanted to be in good standing with his synagogue and the temple in Jerusalem would not could not to remain in good standing touch a dead body and so here comes Jesus and he reaches out and touches her he does what he's not supposed to do and so he's been he's been sort of I don't know uncleansed twice in this account When the woman touches him and when he reaches out and touches this girl. And the result is what is so telling. That when we come to Christ in faith, not only are we allowed to look past the obstacles that are right in front of us, but we are able to claim the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ for ourselves, for our immediate circumstances, for our own hearts, our own souls, our own minds. And so we, through the work of Christ, are brought into this state of having access to eternal power that was never ours It always belonged to our creator, to our redeemer, to the lover of our souls. And so this claim of the power of the resurrection is a call to take his hand. To take the hand... Okay. (laughs) All right, I'm, I'm trying to wrap it up. You're killing me, Smalls. Yeah. Yes, our smoke alarm is functional. Sort of. Um, I mean, I'd just rip it out of the wall. That's how I solve problems. Um, Okay. Take his hand. So there is... There's an interesting uh, connection here that I want to just sort of stop on for a moment. So Jesus reaches out to take the hand of this girl. And he lifts her from her current state into a new state of life and hope. And imagine the way the parents feel at this point. They are... um, beyond relieved in fact the passage actually says they were just amazed they were in awe and then did you notice what jesus says to do this is crazy get her something to eat right and and here's why here's why he did that do you remember the people outside laughing so they they had this tradition they would have surrounded the friends of the, the their neighbors would have surrounded their house and there was this dreadful flute that would not all flutes are dreadful I'm not saying that but there was this the the whole point of this particular fr- flute was to play this mournful sound at the passing of someone and so there would have been people out in their front yard playing this this song of mourning and Jesus comes in and she 's not dead yet, right <laughs> and And then everybody laughs at him, like that 's ridiculous we 've all seen this we 've seen this play out too many times um, there was a There was a medieval archaeological site dug up in England just this past week. They released the the results of it, and there were like it was a graveyard, and there were three hundred um, sets of remains, and 150 of them were children. This is the reality of life in antiquity, that, that just things didn't go well. And everybody knew how this story would end for this girl. And then Jesus walks in and says, I got this. And they laugh at him. And so on his way out, he's like, oh, by the way, get her a sandwich because i want i want these people who laughed to see her actually eat something because guess what ghosts don't eat and there's a fascinating little connection at the at, in the story of the resurrection of christ he comes back to where his followers are assembled and thomas still doubts and what does Jesus do? He picks up a piece of dried fish, and he goes, crunch? And he eats it. Because ghosts don't eat. There was a physical, miraculous resurrection that just happened. And Jesus wanted to make sure that everyone who was watching understood this was a complete transformation. There's no mistake. There's no ambiguity. There's no other theory that could explain it, except that the hand of God himself lifted this girl from her place. We are to take his hand, and we are to stand in awe. And I I love the... Irony. So in the same chapter of the Gospel of Luke, he tells the the man he he cast out the demons from go home to your non-Jewish community and tell everyone what happened. And then he tells this Jewish, prominent Jewish leader in his synagogue who's very well respected, whose testimony would have been credible to anyone. He's like I don't need your help. I don't need your help. I've I've done what I came here to do, to establish in your heart, in your daughter's heart, in the heart of my followers, from now through the end of time, I have come to establish in their hearts that I am God. That I am the healer. I am the lover of their souls. I'm the redeemer of their lives. I can bring life from death. There is hope in my hands. And we are to stand in awe. I just want to read three passages as we conclude. The first is from Romans chapter 5. And it just says, You see, at just the right time, When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. That's a good word. It's a good word for where we are spiritually in our relationship to our own sin. And then Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And then Hebrews eleven one. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In these two women's lives, there was a seeing past of their circumstances. There was a a place of holy desperation that had been reached. And there was a reaching out through faith past the immediate circumstances of their lives to something transcendent, eternal, and powerful. And that simply put, brothers and sisters, they reached out and touched the love of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, who has the power to forgive, to make whole, to bring hope. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your Son is the fulfillment of everything you promised, that through him we can have life, we can have hope, We can have the very things that we could not attain for ourselves. And Lord, we thank you that you render us powerless at the foot of your cross, because in that state we are all equal. No one is looking down on anyone else. We're all looking up to the hope that you have set before us through the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. It is in His name we pray. Amen.